I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Like victory. G'day listeners, welcome back to Full Metal Movie Reviews, it's your host Sandboy. Um, this week we have another flashback episode, we are chatting about another John Carpenter film, surprise surprise, um, the 1988, yeah this one is definitely a cult classic, They Live. With me to discuss all things Rowdy Roddy Piper in his debut acting gig is Anth with the Wi-Fi connection issues. Anth, how are you? I'm good, Sam. I'm good. Look, what the listeners don't know is that this is the third attempt. Wi-Fi, I've canned it. I've said, see you later, bye, and I've hooked up to my Huawei. Yeah, that's right, ladies and gentlemen. I own a Huawei portable hotspot. And I'll tell you what, Sam, I have come here to chew bubblegum and review movies, and I'm all out of patience for this damn Wi-Fi connection. <laughs> I know that's not the line, but damn it. <laughs> We're on. We are on, and I'm happy. I do like this movie, but yes, you're right. We have done a lot of John Carpenter films. Fuck, I guess we have. Oh, right. um, so this is, uh, I guess, our third or fourth John Carpenter film. I'm just going back on our catalog of episodes, and we have discussed... Hmm. The first one that we ever did as a unit was The Thing. The Thing? Uh, yeah, that was about a year ago. Shit. No shit. Yeah. Oh, over, man. I think it was about a year and a half now. 1982's The Thing. Perfect film. And I think we've done... Also, we've definitely done Big Trouble in Little China. And we've done mm-hmm. um, Escape from New York. Yep. And I think that's it. I don't think we've done anything Oh, we, we, did, we did talk about Halloween in the Halloween... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Halloween. Movie. That's yep. film. Yep. Yep. Calm your tits. All right, let's get into it. All right, I'm calm, man. I'm ready to go. Um, now, listeners, I may have said things in those episodes that I know in the past I like to rank things, and I may have mentioned that in those previous episodes about how I like they live. Um, but when we go into detail, I'm gonna I might break some hearts this episode. So. Let's start off on a positive note because the, you know how this works when when we have Ant on the pod. It's he's the yin to my yang. He's the uplift to my downlift. Ant, what do you love about They Live? I fucking hate this movie. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, no, uh, yeah, yeah. Let's let's do it. I'll um I'll build build everyone's spirits up. Uh, I think They Live is a great commentary on how society was moving um, back in the late 80s 
that's just some bullshit. It was just a great fun film. I mean, yes, there's definitely some points in there where, you know, you could ask it to speed up a little bit. But um, what I liked about it is um, I liked how, um, I don't know, I just, I just felt like I could relate to the movie in some way, shape or form. Not that I'm a um, out of my luck, you know, uh, laborer who is walking around struggling to find work and carries a bunch of tools in his back and is jacked beyond recognition. Um, but I just find that, you know, just that day-to-day Joe-esque attitude and you got to kind of like, you got a problem, you got to solve it. And sometimes you're on your own, especially in my line of work where I'm out and my tractor breaks down and I'm on my own in the middle of a field. You know, I, I can kind of relate. So, you know, the only thing that's missing is an alien invasion for me to fight a bunch of aliens. But other than that, that's pretty much what I do every day, Sam. <laughs> so, because you relate to Roddy Roddy, Roddy Roddy Piper, you relate to Roddy Roddy Piper. I think I think I do relate to Roddy Roddy Piper, mate. I'm, you know, I'm a. I can talk the talk like he did on Piper's Pit, and I can walk the walk. Let's go right now, son. You and me. Let's um, go. I think. Um, <laughs> First of all, you're not giving yourself enough credit. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah, well, that, means, that means a lot. That means a lot. I'll drink to that. Roddy Roddy Piper, uh, or Nada, in this uh, in this movie, is a drifter just trying to make ends meet. You uh, run a successful uh, small business or business, and you don't need uh, to 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 wander. Construction work. One day on the job, expecting to be paid the same day. <laughs> look, while I don't need to wander the streets looking for construction work and and whatever. No, what I mean I can relate is that um, <laughs> without looking at the exact details of what Nada is, and funnily enough, Nada means nothing. That's why they went with that name. It's because he, he essentially, he can just fit in anywhere. You wouldn't even notice him. So, forget that he's, you know, Rowdy Roddy Piper. But uh, I disagree. You, I, I think you know yeah, it's No, I don't, oh, the idea is that he's meant to be one of the many, like, homeless or out of the, like, people that are in this city. And there's one of the guys that blend in. That's, that's the social commentary with this, is that he can just move around and no one would second guess you know, him moving around. That's what I mean when I can relate because I'm one of those guys that can just, you know, walk around anywhere. I can relate to that. Um, it's just like, imagine something extraordinary weird is happening to you in your everyday life. That's how I feel like I can relate. And that's what I like about this movie is that general setting. It's not some G.I. Joe, FBI, uh friggin' Hobbs and Shaw, you know, trying to save the world from black Superman. Yes, I just took the piss out of a movie that's coming up, um, which I hopefully will be watching this weekend. Um, it's a movie about just an average dude up against an extraordinary task and how he goes about doing that. That's what I can relate to. Now I'm saying that I do extraordinary things, Sam. So really, now I'm overplaying myself. Right. All right. Well, um, cool. <laughs> I'm well, hey, just... hey, hey, you got to look deep cool. into these things, man. You got to look deep into um, them. What about the, what, well, let's maybe talk a bit more about the film. So you think Nada's relatable. Cool. Nice. 
Um, but in terms of the actual story itself... Okay, you just want me to say this. The fight scene was killer, all right? That's all you want me to say. The fight scene was awesome. Okay. That's it, all no, right? No, no, I don't, I don't, I don't I want you to say whatever you want to say. Um, yeah, it does have a pretty interesting uh, five-minute fight sequence that was, uh, we all know, choreographed by the two actors. Um, yes. Keith the, David and uh, Roddy Piper. Listeners, the movie does not hold up today, all right? It I'm definitely... Not, it, look, not gonna lie. Not gonna lie. Doesn't hold up. Um, well, why do you cherish it as one of your favorites? Fuck, for all those reasons I just said, what's the matter with you? No, I, ch- I cherish like, it. Was, I mean, the story in that. Like, besides yeah, know, Roddy Piper know. and the being a fan of his uh, wrestler character and all that sort of stuff. But, like. As we had to do for some of these Joker like movies, we had to, you know, kind of flesh it out a little bit. I'm just trying to flesh it out a little bit. Um, why. Like, I do. I I enjoy the simplistic style that John Carpenter brings to filmmaking. Um, so you know the fact that it's um, you know, a low budget, simple story, um, and simple filmmaking techniques. Um, as far as the movie itself, I think it is a bit slow at the beginning, um, but I do enjoy uh, Roddy Piper's um, Roddy Piper's acting some of the charisma he brings, like when he's in the grocery store, uh, one of my favorite scenes where um, he calls out the old lady and says, you, you're all right, but you, and then, oh, something face, I forget the word, but he pretty much calls her fucking ugly. Um, he goes, real fucking ugly, you know, that type of stuff. Um, so I enjoy that. Keith David is always great. I enjoy his acting. I think there's some really good acting in this movie. Um, and overall, I think it's a good story. And it's, well done for the time. That's it. What more do you want me to say? <laughs> now bring the yang over, boy. <laughs> um. Okay. All right. Um. Yeah. I, if, uh, thing is, I didn't watch this in the eighties because it came out a year after I was born. Um. So you I could have watched it, but you know, just in the nineties. Um. But okay. So the one thing I like about John Carpenter is that. In his movies, he always um, has a very sort of cool perspective um, or different take, and he can really cultivate sort of uh, a world or a, a setting that, like, pretty much no one else can. So, um, so like, for instance, Escape from New York, Dystopia, um, The Thing, you know, the isolation of, of Antarctica. Uh, or the Arctic, sorry. Um, uh, Big Trouble in China, the whole, you know, mysticism of uh, Chinese sorcery. Um, but you're right in saying that most of his films are relatively small in scale. Not all of them, but most of them. Like The Thing, for instance, pretty much takes place somewhere in Canada. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I know it's set in the Arctic, but it's not. And it's in uh, one or two rooms. Are you fapping? What are you doing? Oh, can you hear that? Oh, I thought it was on mute. Sorry. No, no, no. I'm on a, I'm on a rickety old chair. Sorry, man. I thought it was on mute. I was just, sh- I was just shaking. All right, I've got, I'll get back on mute. Okay. Um, shit, I lost my train of thought. Um, but I guess this is the first film that's kind of grounded in some sort of reality because it's set in meant to be set in present day uh, LA or Los Angeles. In 1988, um, where 
the social commentary on the political landscape of the time, Reaganism, which I guess is somewhat parallel to what we live in now with Trumpism and feeding the capitalist machine and consume, 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 buy, 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 and sort of just coast through life, not really achieve anything other than feeding the capitalist machine and basically squeezing the middlemen, or the middle class, sorry, um, to the margins where you create uh, a lot of desperate and disfranchised uh, populace that can't sort of connect with the world and thus they live on the fringes of society. Um, but the execution of such is that it's... This movie is... Is is it's hard to articulate, but basically, I feel like it's there are moments in it where they are iconic, but the film itself isn't great. So, like, there are moments in it where it's basically very enjoyable cinema, but the even the action isn't really. It's, it's very much like a very it's like a high, highly polished, really refined B grade film. And on the whole, uh, 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 it's enjoyable, and I watch it. But if you said to me, Sam, you're going to live the rest of your life on a desert island, and you can only take three John Carpenter films with you, I'm not sure if this makes the list. So whilst I'm somewhat negative, I still think there are moments in this film which are on point, iconic, love it. But overall, eh, it can be a bit of a drag. No, I see where you're coming from, man. I um, <clears throat> I remember I introduced this movie to um, some people because, uh, you know, I've got that massive DVD collection. So they're like, oh, what movies have you got a good? And They Live was one of them. And I gave them They Live and they, they hated it. So it was the most boring thing they've ever seen. And I'm like, what are you talking about? That's where that cool line, I've come here to chew bubblegum kick ass. That's where all that comes from. And, you know, when you sit back and you rewatch it or whatever, you, yeah, you can see where they're coming from. You know, if you're a mad John Carpenter fan like we are, you kind of look past some of that, you know, the dragginess, I guess, because it takes a long time to get to the point. Yeah, um, so for those who aren't in the know, the action really kicks off around the 34-minute mark. So you, it's, it's... It takes a while to establish the parameters of the world or the context of which the characters live in, but I'd say that it's not done in a way that's really—it's very laboured. So you see a guy walking in the fringe of society; he literally goes to a um, social security or welfare office or something like a Centrelink, and he literally on the back of it it says jobs, <laughs> job opportunities, right? Mm. Okay, so it's like really just forcing this down your throat that this guy's just a wanderer um, walking on the wrong tracks of life, I guess, trying to make his way through the world. Um, and then he gets a job on a construction site. It's like, hey, do you have any jobs? Yeah, I do. Okay, cool. And then <laughs> and he meets a mate. He then takes him to some shanty town. No, first first you see him doing some work. Okay, he does some work. He expects to get paid. But then he takes him to a shanty town where that's across the road from a church. And the shanty town is it's bizarre. It's like... um. Basically, on this empty lot of land, uh, some people have built a community for themselves where they're just living there, trying to make a living, pretty much living in like tent shacks. And I know LA th- these days has has Skid Row, which is literally just 
hundreds and thousands of homeless people living on a street in in tents. Um, but this seems, I don't know, it's just two 80s where it's somewhat semi-organized and there's just like, a, it's like a community almost and it's almost like they're just camping out. So that's why um, I was like, oh, okay, cool. And it's it, it just misfires. like the, It just misfires a little bit. And then the whole him coming across this weird group that hang out in the church and he stumbles across, you know, some sunglasses and it, it's just all like, okay. And you just kind of have to go, you just kind of have to like suspend your disbelief a lot to jump into it. Like you really, instance, you really got to know something's going to happen. Like you need, you need to know what this movie is to enjoy it. Yeah. If you have no sense of what they live is about, um, then you will go into this and you will not get past the first half an hour. Cause you'll be like, this is boring. There's well, nothing happening. Yeah. I'm done. And um, the th- I mean, and the, and the point I'm trying to make is, if you go to his earlier work, like Big Trouble in China, Jack Bernie, you introduce Jack Bernie straight away. He's on a truck. He's in Chinatown. It looks fucking visually striking. It's engaging, nitty gritty, realistic, right? He's um, having a fight. Uh, uh, he's playing poker. Then he has the the goes to the airport and then straight away into a chase. And then the chase leads to a, a gang fight. And then the gang fight leads to them going trying to find his missus and you know what i mean it's like actually it never stops rolling whereas this is kind of slow half hour maybe 40 minutes maybe because even when the cops rock up and the like nothing happens they don't like they run from the cops but the cops just walk for whatever reason like zombies they don't really run or give chase they hide out into he hides out in a building then he puts the glasses on and it's like another i don't know 10 minutes and then you have that fight and that's probably the first sort of real action you get. I mean, do you include the SWAT rocking up and, and dismantling the shanty town as action? I don't know. Do you? I no. So I think the chase after <clears throat> and then when he does get the glasses, I do actually enjoy that scene because when he gets the glasses and he's walking around, um, that's when he's discovering certain things and then there is a bit of action there where he comes to the police and he kills a couple of the alien cops, and then he's on the chase again. He runs into, um, oh my god, that actress. Sorry, forget her name. The one with really piercing blue eyes and red hair. Uh, uh, you talking like about the only actress, Meg Foster, Holly? Yeah. What's her name though? Holly. Yeah. Holly. Yeah. Holly. Uh, runs into Holly and then you know goes up to her apartment and gets thrown out the fucking roof, thrown thrown out the window. Um, so yeah, I, I include all that scene because I think that that is a fairly well paced information building um, setting. You get all the information of the glasses make him see things. They give him headaches. He can't wear them too long. Um, they're not human. You know, there's subliminal messages in billboards and that type of stuff. So I think you do kind of include that because it's also story building and there's also action in there. And then that brings you to the fight. And just agree with me because you know I'm right. Um, so let's talk about this fight. So, look, I don't know. I don't think we worry about plot synopsis anymore because I think we just assume prior knowledge with this flashback, these flashback episodes because it's too daunting to remember every fucking minute plot. Detail. And listen, let's face it. These guys aren't clicking on this thing unless they know what these movies are. Yeah, so, exactly. So, you know. um, 
Uh, Prove me wrong, people. If you're clicking on this and you're expecting a plot synopsis, you get in contact with me. All right. Look it up on Wikipedia. I'll give you but, a private one. But the, the the I don't know. It's just like I love the fight, but the engagement and the dialogue that leads up to the fight this seems so nonsensical to me. Put the glasses on, no nah, man. Put the glasses on, no nah, man. Put the glasses on. Hey and man. <laughs> and it's like, um. Nah, so I know he... they're two alpha males, and that's the point. Because when they when John Carpenter wrote the script, he wanted to make sure that um, the lead was a burly, big, uh, robust sort of alpha male dude, um, and his psychic wasn't a conventional psychic. He was an equal. So Keith David was is this part was written for Keith David, right? So Frank is very much not as equal, and they're both like just. I don't know, kind of like Tango and Cash, just like, you know, testosterone on testosterone. So the fight is like, I don't know, it's just, it's just weird. The Like the fight itself is cool and I enjoy it, but the how they get into it, it's just, it doesn't seem like two rational people having a normal discussion. Well, okay, so if you listen to the actual dialogue, okay, Frank, played by Keith David, doesn't want anything to do with Nardo because he's all over the news for murdering people. He's giving him some money so he doesn't have Why? to see his face That's again. That's what I don't understand. Why would yeah. he give him the money? I'll just take his check. Fuck him. <laughs> well, the, well, what uh, what you should have said, what doesn't make sense, he's only known the dude for a day. So why would you even agree to meet him? Like, doesn't, you know what I mean? That, 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 there, that there doesn't make sense. Yeah. Actually, there's one part of this fight that has been bugging me my, me my entire life, and I wonder if you feel the same way as well. Um, but we'll talk about that in a minute towards the end. But yeah, all right. Look, you're right. Okay, the way they got there. But at the end of the day, Sam, if I ran into you into an alley and you told me to put on a pair of glasses and I said, nah, because, you know, they're not my style and you kept pushing them onto me, I probably would punch you in the face. So, you know, some people were just jerks. These two guys, jerks. Um, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. But, like, um, I don't know. I just And... and... What else I find cheesy about this film is that it's literally Ray-Ban knockoffs of what um, allow uh, Nada to see the aliens, the, <laughs> the reptilian overlords. And I'm like, but does he know like sunglasses are literally, they're not even like, does he know how sunglasses work? <laughs> like they're not, they're not, they don't. They don't fucking the the lens of a sunglass. You can get prescription lens sunglasses, but fundamentally they're just um, plastic these days. Not even glass, plastic with a bit of uh, tint to them. That's it. But aren't these chemically enhanced, special ordered? That's why they make. That's why they make. Alter your. Is it because is it because like how do the sunglasses work again? Do they block out? Because they're sending a message right through their mothership or whatever the fuck they're doing. That blocks out um, the, the our, appearance, changes our, the appearance, yeah, the appearances senses. of other messages, our senses. So we see differently, and we absorb their message, sub, subliminal messaging. Which okay, cool, but um, how would sunglasses? Because it's it, does it stop the message, or do you just when you what when you look through them, you just like what so. Are, <clears throat> so the way I read that was that. The aliens and the messages are masked by um, a, some sort of s- signal from the mothership that creates what we see. 
So when we see a billboard and we see, you know, uh, a Coca-Cola bottle, and then what it's actually saying is drink more. But what we see is a Coke bottle, and that's coming from the mothership. So when you put these glasses on, and that's why the aliens look like normal people as well, when you put the glasses on, it uncovers what is actually in reality as opposed to what we are thinking we're seeing in reality. Now, ask me how that works, I wouldn't have a clue. Because you know what? It's a movie. Fuck. Yeah, but I mean, it's so lame in its setup and premise that it's... So You know how I, I usually complain about too much detail and world building and too much explanation, but I think in this instance, this is really bare minimum. <laughs> And, yeah, but again, mm, that's why it's relatable mm. because at the end of the day, he's an average Joe Blow. No one's going to – he doesn't He doesn't have anybody because they all run off. He doesn't have anybody to sit down and explain to him the science behind it. And even if they did explain to him how the freaking electron, neutron, fucking radiation waves, whatever work, he wouldn't understand a single thing. So, that's really a good point. But, yeah, that is the um, best point. There's a few things that I don't like in this, in 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 that also that establishment to that series of events that leads him down going killing aliens and reptilians, right? Um, firstly, he very before before the cops rock up and the shit hits the fan, he says to Frank, um, "I believe in America. I follow the rules." If the cops rocked up, someone who believes in America and follow the rules, right? Surely, why would you run? <laughs> what have you What have you done? <laughs> He believes in America. <laughs> America! So, yeah, that's something I, I can't, I just don't get. And secondly, the cops go in there, or the reptiles go in there, and they, like, they go through that church. I just find it so hard to believe that they wouldn't find that secret little door or passage. Because basically, you can see it. It's a cutout. You can see the cutout when he's walking in there. Like, you can see it. So... They could have just spent a little bit of more money, maybe working out a trap door or something, just to put in a little bit more effort to make this film click a bit more. And that's what I mean. It's just, it's just misfiring. Because if, if you look at the films that we get in 1988, right, there's like fucking Die Hard game, uh, getting uh, released. You know, there's some serious uh, action films that are getting um, put out at this time that I just think that this is this is definitely dated and it's just B grade in comparison to those to those films. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Um, but I mean, let's maybe talk about the good part. So, what I did like about this is Rowdy Roddy Piper is so he's a pretty charismatic, dude. So. Um, as he's like, we all like Rowdy, but he's, um, rest in peace. He's a, yeah, rest in peace. He is sincere and he, he's not like a, it's hard to articulate, but he's not like a, uh, if you he compare, to do the best job he's, he could. he's not Jack Burton. No, no. And so he's, he's taking the role like really seriously and he's playing it very flat and dry. So, um, for those who don't know, Browdy Roddy Piper had a podcast called uh, Piper's Pit Pod, which is still up on SoundCloud. And he had an episode of John Carter and actually discussed 
they live in some detail and had wonderful insight and it was a great conversation between two artists. I strongly recommend, if anything, to be honest, I recommend you listen to this, or sorry, recommend you listen to that. If <laughs> Stop this podcast right yeah, now. Yeah, stop, the, stop this podcast, check that out. <laughs> All right, then after you've done that, I also recommend you don't turn this back on. I recommend you head out, buy the Blu-ray, okay? Because I've got the DVD and the Blu-ray. Buy the Blu-ray because on that, on that, Sam, in 2002, um, Rowdy Roddy Piper and Joel Carpenter sat down and did the audio commentary for um, oh, for they, they the Live. audio commentary for they the did Blu-ray. They did the audio on the Blu-ray, the same. Did you end up buying that one too? Yeah. Yeah, check it out. So go and after this, Actually, let's pause this. We'll both watch it now. Come yeah. back now. Um, they they did the audio commentary, and and you are absolutely right. You know, Rowdy talks about, and and Rowdy is very, he's humble. He's so humble, like he couldn't believe that John Carpenter picked him. You know, wanted yeah, yeah. him to do that role. So it, you're absolutely right when you say he wanted to give the best performance he he could because he was so grateful mm-hmm. to be that to be that. And it's funny. Um, Roddy actually said that when people watch the movie, they didn't believe that that was actually him shirtless. They thought that they superimposed his head on someone else's body because um, Roddy was so like, yeah, he was because he, if you look at his professional wrestling career, he, uh, in the early days, he had a body, but it was never like he was nah, never he's jacked. He's never toned. He's never he was, jacked. Yeah. yeah. And in this, he's jacked, but yeah. just because he was just so focused on doing the very best he could. Um, that you know he was he was jacked and he was the very best he could be for this movie, and they didn't, they believed it wasn't him. There you go. So you go. I mean, but at the same time, I know I said I'm trying to pump this movie up. I find that the way he plays that character is a bit too. Could he's a fucking bit of levity? You know what I mean? It's very. It's not like other John Carpenter films where it's where you get that because like this is portrayed. Like, if you look at the poster and you look at sort of um, how this film sort of marketed, would you say this is meant to be a straight action action film? The way it's marketed and the poster, yes. I'll, like, he's not cowboy enough for the role. Yeah, he doesn't have that sort of balance. It's like he's almost trying to win an Oscar for this. <laughs> so, it's, it's just the... Um, it, that's why I think people, whilst he's charismatic, can be turned off a bit and say, oh, this is boring, slow, or whatever. Because it's just not really... Um, it's like, it's it's almost very easy to tune, tune out of, just mentally. Yeah. I mean, he approached playing the role as if he was playing a real person based on some of his previous experiences before he got into mm. wrestling and even in the early days of being in wrestling and actually traveling around and being homeless and living on the streets. Um, so he came, so yeah, Roddy actually came to this role with that background knowledge of what it's actually like to not have a home. So he, I don't think he got the memo that he was making a John Carpenter movie. So <laughs> yeah, and, um, well, but that's that's cool. All the, but respect, like, um, all the respect to him in the world, because I think for it was his first major movie. Yeah, and I think he did. You know, look at The Rock when he first did The Scorpion King. All right, and then look at him now. Obviously, you know, leaps and bounds. Even though he makes the same movie over and over again, but um, 
you know, look at Roddy Pipe. That was his first movie. Uh, mm. I think he, I think he did a, a, a great job. Mm. Um. So, as well, I don't like the name Nada. I know the context, and I think it's just a bit too literal mm. to be a man from nowhere sort of thing. Um, it's a bit, yeah, I don't know. I just think we could have tried a bit harder to come up with something original. Um, even if you just gave him a name like John or something. I don't know, man. Just figure out something. That's was this first than Nada. first name meant to be John? I thought it was John Nada, was it? Yeah, it was Nada. Yeah, but I think he, he had a first name as well, but I know it's not credited. No. Uh, and uh, they never call him a name, to be honest. I gotta check that out. No, they never do, eh? No. No. Um, oh, no, it is John Nada. There you go. I just looked up on Wikipedia. Yeah. But, like, I don't know. He's just fucking. Nada. And it's just like. Oh, yeah. No, nah, look, Nada I get what. Because it's from nowhere. I get where you're coming from, 100%. Agree with you. Um, but I think that this movie has some clever commentary and context and a clever story that I think it makes Mm up for those missing pieces. If you're Mm -hmm. a fan of that era and you're a fan of those movies, Mm. I don't think that anyone knew going into this would, would be able to enjoy it watching it. No. And it's just, it, yeah, it's just like, it's not bad enough to be enjoyable as a B-grade sort of let's laugh and enjoy it ironically sort of thing. And it's not good enough to be a must-watch, have-to-see-once-a-year sort of film. It's like a very specific niche where you just kind of want to, maybe like if you're just doing something and you just want to film in the background or you're, mm. maybe just like, oh, just... I feel like I want to have a nap, so I might just put this on and watch a little bit before I go have a nap on the couch or something. It's a it's a film that's just very much middle ground. It's a and, film that you will watch because of the fight. And for for me, the, the best um, the, the 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 best the best the best the best part of this film is the end when the glasses uh, the so the satellite gets destroyed <laughs> and the signal goes down and like. Everyone can see the aliens. Um, I know what scene you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, and it's that, a chick's having sex with one, <laughs> and she just screams. It's like, oh, this is what this is where this is film should have gone in. This is the direction it should have gone in yeah. because the satire is lost if you're playing it so straight, and it's it needs a bit just a bit of levity, a bit of charisma to really patch over the cracks of a ham-fisted plot, mediocre execution. And if you had that, you'd probably be looking at like. Um, someone to think a bit more enjoyable but at the same time I get it like John Carpenter would be saying well this is just another fucking big trouble with China situation you know what I mean Um, uh, we just want to pretty much cast Kurt Russell and everything I agree with you because you know what I think this is one of the only movies that actually picks up towards the end mm. do you know what I mean like it, it, it not so much the action, but it's just you're right that mm. that bit of satire at the end, and it's even in the like the news anchor, you know, when the aliens start getting revealed and people's reactions and stuff, and yes, the sex scene, um, it it just it comes to it just it just comes out, and you're almost like you're waiting for that, you're waiting for it that entire time, 
and then it's finally mm. there and then it's roll credits um so it's yeah. almost you know yeah. like a you know an hour and a half build to you know to just a bit of a uh, bit of humor um yeah similar to uh, okay no way no way do i think this is as good as a good as a movie but i'll bring it up um independence day um the first one i think mm-hmm. you know you had the seriousness of the situation so you had the seriousness of the aliens attacking and the devastation on all the major whatever whatever but then in the background you had will smith being will smith and you had will smith punching out aliens and you know talking smack and and all that so while this movie played out as a serious um disaster movie you know you had that the charisma of will smith interjected here there here there here there and that kind of allowed the flow of it to go and that turned into a fairly fun you know popcorn movie um, with a serious premise of devastation and destruction, Will Smith. This had everything but the Will Smith. And if it had the Will Smith, I think it would have, you know, it would hold up a bit better today. Well, or you don't cast literally the black version of Rowdy Roddy Piper, and you cast someone else <laughs> who's a bit more of a wisecracking. Um, this, I don't know, like. Any like you just gotta have people like just you can't have two dudes that just both do the same thing, <laughs> like because then what comes the fundamental difference between the two? Nothing. They're just the same character, and I would you need some sort of point of difference to create engagement. And I think um, you know besides the color of his skin, they're fundamentally the same dude. Good honest people, salt of the earth people, both homeless but both trying to um, provide. Or make a get a job and make a way in the world, right? Yeah. Um, and then they just happenstance to be in a situation where they see the aliens. Um, even even when they bring Holly into the movie, Holly is also a very um, straight and narrow character. So I think actually onto something. There is no comic relief. There's no. Um, and when we say like when I say comic relief, you don't need freaking you know Chris Rock. You know, or, or or Pesci in the movie, even though they both made you know great comic reliefs in Lethal Weapon franchise. But you don't need that over the top humor. Just just something like okay, bring up Lethal Weapon. Um, you know, Riggs and Murtaugh. They were both serious characters. Rig had a Riggs had a very serious backstory, but because he was such a loose ball, you know, goofball, you know, off the rails kind of guy. It, and you had Murtaugh, who was just a strict family man. It they played off of each other really well, and you had a, you know some really enjoyable, fun '80s you know uh, action cop drama comedies. Whereas this, you're right. You, you've got mm. you got you know Keith David, who's a straight and narrow actor, and you got Roddy Piper, who's playing it straight and narrow. You got nothing. Nothing else. It de- it definitely needed something else in there. Yeah, um, and that's what I mean. Like, it's a good point that you mentioned Lethal Weapon. Like, that's what makes those... The, that, that's what holds... I mean, fundamentally, Lethal Weapon isn't really... I mean, the first two are fantastic, but they're not, you know, they're not Oscar-winning films, but what makes them so great is that the the charisma, the charisma of the lead um, characters. Yeah. And then they just... I don't know. Just I love Rowdy Roddy Piper, and he's good in this film. But 
he plays it straight because he, as he himself admits, he wasn't an actor. He was trying to be as, as sincere as possible. Mm. Whereas if he had people around him that maybe just... Like, if the psychic was just the guy who's like, oh, no, I don't believe he puts a glass on, it's like, oh, shit. You know what I mean? And yeah. just like... <laughs> he you know he kind of gave he kind of gave us that in the grocery store. Yeah, the grocery you know? store is a good scene. And the bank, he kind of yeah. like there and there, there just wasn't enough. When he started doing that, that's when that's that's another point of the movie picking up. Um, and then we kind of you know cream over the fight. But to be brutally honest, after the fight, it goes back down again. Do you know what I mean? And it, and it stays like that. Up until the end, when they infiltrate, um, I guess the base or the mothership or whatever, um, the the TV tower, and up until there, it kind of it hits that. So you've got it's flatlined, picks up, then flatlines again, and then picks up at the very end. That that's my interpretation. Yeah, I and don't disagree. Um, what uh, what else do I like? I like the the look of the aliens um, and how what they're meant to represent. So John Carpenter did, he wanted to create really ugly looking zombie ish uh, aliens that um, represent the decay of humanity and that basically the how people get corrupted by um, the vanity of uh, trivial uh, monetary pursuits. So the aliens look. Really ugly and scary, bug-eyed, yellow teeth, decaying skin, horrific. Love it. Um, I think they're they're fantastic. I like the the fight sequence. Which check it out on YouTube if you haven't seen it. Um, I also like the bank sequence. I'm not. I mean, the grocery store's okay. Like, it's. I feel like I'm just shooting on this film, but I mean, it's not. It's. It's it's definitely like you, like that's what I mean. You watch this film in YouTube clips, if that makes sense. You don't watch it. Um, it's like it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a, even for me. It's a tough sit through from beginning to end, beginning to end. Because yeah. the because he's not trying to be a hero, man. Like that's the other thing with his character Nardo. He's just the dude that this happens to, and because he kills the cops, um, it just starts off a series of chains of events that leads to a larger conspiracy that he then throws upon himself to um, save humanity. So it's just because he was curious that he came to this conclusion. Like it, even like the whole concept of why he'd go back to the church to then take out a box of sunglasses. Like, I don't know, man. Like, it's just, it's just weird. Like it's just weird that, if I could buy it, if he was more, because he's he's meant to be shown as this amoral guy who believes in the right way, he believes in America. So I guess that's his motivation for trying to save America. But I wouldn't believe that he would be the type of person that would go snooping around in a church, because he's he kind of sticks to himself and he has morals and he, you know he just wants to do wants to find a job and make his way. Whereas I'd fight, like it maybe if it was a bit more of a street rat, you know what I mean, like a hustler sort of thing, where you think he could maybe leverage something out of these guys, you know what I mean? I, like the character to me is intrinsically flawed. Nada. Well, the, the way I saw that is that he, because he doesn't trust anybody, um, and he goes to this shanty town, and the guys in the church are the ones running it, and they're doing some 
interesting things in the church that get his attention. He's sussing him out to see whether or not he's going to get ripped off or if they're ripping off the other guys. That's the way I saw it. So it actually, these chain of events actually start from his mistrust of the people in that church. So he's spying on them. He's checking them out. He's trying to figure out, you know, who these people are. He goes over, he susses the church out after watching him do a bit of dodgy stuff for a bit. Um, he has a look and then he realizes that this isn't a church, you know, there's no actual people in there. And he actually brings that up before the riot squad come in. Mm. Um, so to me, it's, you know, it kind of does make sense because... I mean, if I was in that situation and I was, I noticed some dodgy stuff, I would probably go, uh, what's actually happening over there because I'm a bit of a snoop and have a snoop. So, I mean, that that's the way I saw it, man. But, you know, each their own and you're wrong and I'm right. <laughs> um, well, um, I mean, today it's very much considered a, a cult classic because it has a super high approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Um and everyone kind of throws the weight behind. It's a great sort of uh, political commentary piece on um, how people prioritise um, trivial capitalism and just wanting to consume consumerism, pretty much. And that whole thing, right? So I get that metaphor. But what I'm saying is, just because an idea is good, the execution has to live up to fulfilling the idea. And I just feel like fundamentally if i wanted to watch uh watch a political film or a film that had has something substantial to say about the negative um influence the negative uh, results of reaganism capitalism consumerism i would watch a documentary or a serious film so it's a very i think people are just trying to read too much into this and try to get value where there is none um, because you have to look at the source material and the source material for this film is based on a short story, a comic book, as well as input from various other people. So it was, it's not, it's a, it's a very B grade film premise. So you kind of got to like put your fucking, uh, you know, film studies hat off. I just feel like, you know that one person that goes to university and takes one course in like film studies and then tries to lecture you about fucking the meaning of fucking film? Yeah. I feel like that's what everyone does when they talk about this. This and I'm like, it's just, okay, yeah, it is, but it's just, at the same time, it is just a B-grade action flick. So don't get so wet over it. Yeah, and the thing is actually uh, subcontext context of... Uh, uh, the AIDS disaster and, um, yeah, exactly. and freaking Halloween is about the subconsciousness that everyone has evil inside of them that yeah. wants to come yeah. out. Yeah. Um, and you know, like it's just like every John Carpenter movie can do this, man. And you know, it's just, and it just so happens that this one has to be a political one. That that's the main premise. But here's the kicker. All right, I agree with you a hundred percent. This is a YouTube clip movie. I enjoy it because I can, as I said at the very beginning that you found a bit bizarre, I can relate because he's just nada. He's nobody. All right. Mm. But you're right. It definitely is missing an injection of some adrenaline 
throughout the yep. movie. Yep. Yep. Hands down. So film students out there, if you're listening to this, because we know we know that you listen to every single one of our reviews, you film students, and you write notes down because you go, damn, that phony guy, he is he is money. And you're writing down, you all of a sudden go, no, no, no. You know what? Go rent Freddy vs. Jason and watch it and enjoy it because you know you will. I used to be you, film student, man. I used mm-hmm. to be you. All right? <laughs> the Life Aquatic with Steve Zazu was not a good movie. All right? Stop pretending it was. Oh, I like that film. <laughs> no, no, I do too, but you know, it's, it's one of those. It's one of those ones yeah, that only, only artsy it. students like. But anyway, yeah, I know what you're saying. Um, yeah. um, but like I said, it's got great clips in it. Radio Piper, um, you know, is charismatic enough to keep you like, oh yeah, it's Radio Piper. Is it enough to make you think it's um, John Nada? And probably not, but it's enough to watch it because you like watching Radio Piper. He got it as well because um, Carpenter saw him and was like, "This is a sincere person." Yeah, genuine. Yeah, he's a genuine you know, bloke. A genuine, a genuine bloke. bloke. Um, it did when it got um when it was released. It did hit number one or did debut at number one. But as John Carpenter said, it just then disappeared from existence shortly after. So I never really found an audience. I think the fact that Rowdy Roddy Piper was in it was the reason why it hit number one because. He was such a hot sort of property at the time. Just um, this is around uh, WrestleMania three. He was very much a lead man in the WWF, and he had a lot of uh, souse behind him at the time. A lot of lot of hot traction. You know what I mean? So I think, I think um, McMahon didn't even want him to do it. Yeah, according and, to that podcast. Yeah, and then um, he left. And the same yeah. with the. Uh, it's actually interesting because uh, in two thousand and two he. Uh, he just went back to the WWE in 2003. Yeah. So in 2002, I believe he was transitioning after WCW to, he might've been in TNA briefly at this time. Uh, he um, was, he was very briefly, you know, when like Rusey Ru- was like the NWA. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that, you know that weird phase they had before they went to TNA Impact. Yeah, they they were they were NWA TNA uh, yeah. for about um, till about oh, even when Christian was in there because he he had the NWA title. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, like this is just still during their pay per view phases. He went back to the WWE, but very briefly. It's 2003. He mm-hmm. feuded with Hulk Hogan. Here you're getting a wrestling lesson as well, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and then he left again. But this yep. was just before he came back. So he still had um, negative, I guess, feelings towards mm-hmm. the WWE. So in this audio commentary, he was very open. Um, and he discussed, like, you know, Vince McMahon not, you know, not wanting him to do this. So he was just like, fuck you. I'm out. You know, yeah, yeah. go somewhere else he, so he um, can make this movie. Yeah, well, let's be honest. He got screwed out of a title match. Like, he, there should have been a... Piper Hogan title match in a run of WrestleMania. Um, yeah. I don't care what anyone says. I, I'm not the world's biggest um, Randy Savage fan. I think the guy was a dickhead in real life. Um, and I think he was a shit wrestler as well. Um, and uh, I just... You've got about 50 smart marks right now hunting down your IP address. Yeah. <laughs> Looking for you. Hey, it's just one guy's preference. Um, but I, I just... Well, mate, anytime you beat up a guy... Because he wants an autograph, he's like, "What are you doing?" Um, 
and the fact and the way he treated his wife was appalling. So, uh, I may take the, the, that comment back about being a shit wrestler, but I think um, nah, nah, he, I agree. He had every right to be um, upset with the WWE because if you look at WrestleMania one, which was him, um, Mr. T, Hogan, and who was it, Orndorff? or who's the other guy in that in that tag match? Um, Orden. Orden. Not Orndorff, Orden. Fucking, everyone was hot for Piper. And from, like, WrestleMania 1 to WrestleMania 3, people were fucking, like, he was it, man. He was, like, the Steve Austin before there was Steve Austin. Like, he had just so much sort of heat on him. And just, but not like heat. Heat's the wrong word, because I'm not trying to, not a wrestling freight, like, bad like not bad no, he, 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 you know he, I mean? he's fine you can use yeah. heat yeah he had heat, I'll give he had you that one. and it would have yeah. been a fantastic match to get that you know they did they did do it in WCW but that was way too late in 97 or 98 whenever they did it yeah but so when he had this opportunity to do this film and then McMahon said no because obviously I think McMahon was trying to do films then as well or something yeah um it just it kind of seemed like yeah he might have been a difficult person to work with but there was definitely a clear agenda that Piper was not a priority for WWE so I was happy for him that he got that sort of over WWE that the film he got was a number one uh, debuted at number one I think that's fantastic um, but the evidence is in or the proof is in the pudding that it kind of just then literally dropped off the radar the next week because well soon thereafter. Because it doesn't, it's not really. Yeah, I don't know. Just like if you tell it's, me, like it's I said, nada. You, it's nada. Yeah, it's nada. And if you tell me that, you know, you know, on that island, you're gonna get three John Carpenter films. I'm definitely taking Big Trouble in China. I'm definitely taking the thing, and it's gonna be a close one as to whether I take this one or something else. So, oh, I'll take vampires. You take va- vampires are sick. And you know, you know what? Uh, it was funny. Um, one of the uh, John Carpenter podcast we did. You, you mentioned um, uh, Prince of Darkness. Yeah, and That's um, I stand by. And and uh, <laughs> and uh, I ended up watching that back to back with this one because I bought both Blu-rays at the same time. And um, I know you just said I stand by that, but Jesus man, if I had to pick my three John Carpenter movies, not only would I not bring that, <laughs> I would make sure that I threw that in the freaking fire. So no one else would ever see that. That was a crock of donkey shit. The worst John Carpenter movie I have ever seen. Not bad. Not even Donald Pleasance couldn't save that piece of shit. That movie made fuck all sense. It was crap. uh, Um, So I should tell you, I actually, you know, that's a good point. So I like that film because I like that film because it's so shit. It's good. It's, yeah, but it's not even bad. It's good. You know what was bad? It was good. It was freaking God um, King Kong versus uh, Robot King Kong. That was so bad. It was good. You know what this was? This was just shit. Um, oh, fair enough. Um, but what, but what my point is that um, John Carpenter, he hated the studios at this point, uh, 87, 88, and he yes. wanted to sort of make his be, have the ability to make whatever he wanted. And he hitched his wagon to a production company called Alive Films. And Alive Films 
kind of gave him the platform to do whatever he wanted. Um, and basically, that's the two films we got. We got um, uh, Prince of Darkness and They Live. Now, one was a relatively commercial success. Budget 13, 3 million, made 13 million. That's not bad. But they, you know, The Prince of Darkness definitely, definitely uh, <laughs> wasn't. Um, but Wonder why. I guess the point I was trying to make there is that it's that probably was the death sentence for him in terms of his um, filmography because realistically in this time he's kind of like done because mm. he didn't really make anything that sort of substantial maybe yeah he just didn't he just didn't never didn't never had another sort of like not even a hit like a cult hit or an iconic film like i mean vampires is is a good flick like that's not let's not let's not fuck around there but it wasn't a commercial success and it's probably not one of the first ones where people talk about as being a john carpenter cult classic no, no you, you, LA, it doesn't get from LA was really horrific village of the dam was not bad um, but I mean, we've, we've talked about this before, but my point is that he had the opportunity to do this. And I feel like he had probably just, he probably just did, just, he just went too far off the rails. Actually, fuck. Um, Prince of Darkness made more money. Had a box office of 14 million. There you go. Okay. Uh, whatever. It's still shit. <laughs> so that's like, you know what I mean? Like he just, um, it, he just... No, they they live. I'm looking at his photography now. They live is definitely the last uh, John Carpenter classic. I mean, no nobody puts any of his others in that category. Ghost of Mars, Vampires, Escape from L.A., Village of the Dam, um, uh, Memoirs, Memoirs of an Invisible Man, um, In the Mouth of Madness. I've never heard of that one, but nobody puts any of those movies in that John Carpenter uh, category. So you're right. Mm. Absolutely right. I don't know um, why Prince I mean, of Darkness he, he, is in that conversation, but anyway. <laughs> um, well, he did definitely have... Vampires is a good film. It's fun. Padre. Hey, Padre. Yeah, it, it's a good... Look, it's a good, fun film, mm. but what I think with Vampires is that I think it was made too late, and I, yeah. I think if that movie was made in the 80s, I think it would be a cult hit, because uh, it was made in the late 90s. It was just... It's like, hey, this is a John Carpenter movie that's already dated, kind of thing. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's you know, in, in that era, you had Scream onwards. You know, it it just didn't fit. So I, I think that that killed it. Well, it did open at number one, um, but it's interesting that you had like you had vamp- two vampire films in 1998. You had Vampires and then Blade, and like I mean, if whatever reason this his later work just looks so. Like the the photography old. of it, old, yeah, like yeah. vampires looks really like early nineties, late eighties. So like Blade is sort of moving with the new times. It's um a more more grey toned, modern, gritty, grun- grungy. Where this is like still. I got the easiest answer for that. What's that? Jo- John Carpenter just wanted to make John Carpenter movies. Mm. He didn't give a shit about anything else. He just wanted to make John Carpenter movies. So. John Carpenter wanted to, 
you know, film his old style, his old way, that's what he was going to do. I mean, even if you look at Escape from L.A., that had a bit more CGI, but that was still filmed like a John Carpenter movie. It was just a shit one. Um, and even Ghosts of Mars, while that is still, you know, set out in a fantastical, you know, world, it still has all those those long shots, the wide shots, um, and that style of filmmaking that is the equivalent of, you know, the old school John Carpenter mm. stuff. So I think <clears throat> I'm not saying now, you got all the smart marks coming after you for the Randy Savage thing. I don't want all the John Carpenter fanboys knocking at my door after I say this because I have made it very clear I'm a massive fan of John Carpenter. However, however, everything dates, everything ages. I'm not saying that his film style got bad I because I enjoy it and I love those movies, but his film style definitely got dated as time went on. So I agree with that. No, I agree entirely. Um, so, listeners, in summarization, I guess, um, if you haven't seen it, I strongly recommend you maybe get your hands on a copy and watch it at least once. Um, to to say, just to tick, it's one of those films you got to tick off, right? Regardless of what we say, you still if you're if you like, you know, B grade, you know, cult films, and you're like you like the genre of sci-fi action, you got to tick it off. It's just one even if you don't movie. and you haven't seen it, just watch it. What's wrong with you? And then my next point would be, yeah, what is wrong with you? The next point would be, if you have seen it or if you don't really, if we haven't really sold it, at least check out the best bits on YouTube because they're alone very very much entertaining. So yep. this, this movie has merit, it has weight, it has um, it has substance to it, but ultimately it probably it doesn't come out in the wash. So with that, as always, you can find us on Twitter, on SoundCloud, on iTunes, and wherever you find good podcasts. Um, on Twitter, our handle is at FMMRpod. Um, please, if you want to just suggest a movie or just talk shit, or yeah, if you're upset about anything I've said or anything said, that's the that's the that's where the complaints department is. Okay. Hey, 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 Smart Marks. Guess what? CM Punk, John Moxley, they're all shit too. There you go. That's for me. I'll I'm take. Already. I'll take the heat from you, mate. I'll take the heat from you. Who the fuck is John Moxley? That's, that's Dean Ambrose, oh, okay. the lunatic yeah. fringe. Oh yeah, I agree with that guy. All right, and, um, <laughs> all right. And until next week, uh, we'll catch you. Catch you. Hey, Kenny Omega, shit too. See ya, man. Take it easy. Thanks, man.